Hi, it's Taylor. Quickly jumping in before the episode starts to let you know that we've changed our name and are now Sisters Assemble. You can find our updated social handles in the show notes. Enjoy the show! Hello, hello, and welcome to another episode of the Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories podcast. I'm Taylor. And I'm Katie, and we're two sisters and borderline obsessed Marvel fans who have been following the Marvel Cinematic Universe closely for years. And now we want to share our MCU discussions with you. We chat about our own predictions and theories, plus some of our favorites from online, and our reactions to all of the Marvel content that's considered MCU canon, including the Disney Plus shows and the movies, as well as the Marvel news you need to know. All right, everyone, welcome to the first episode of 2023. We are super excited to be back with you in this new year, and we're going to be doing a replay episode today. So if you are new to the show and you haven't heard a replay episode before, just want to give a little recap. Essentially, we're going through all of the MCU in timeline order up until we would have started the show. So up until Loki, basically, we're going backwards and talking about you know, a little recap of the movie, what we think of the movies, and how important it is in the grand scheme of the MCU, what it contributes to the larger narrative, to larger character development, and all those important things. So as you guys saw, I'm sure in the title today, we will be covering Captain America, the Winter Soldier, which if you have listened to pretty much any episode of the show, I think you know is Katie's favorite, and the first Guardians of the Galaxy. So a little bit of a weird mishmash. Uh, very different tones on this one, but I'm excited to dive in, and I know for a fact Katie is as well. Yes, I definitely am. And honestly, so, <laughs> little backstory. Obviously, we rewatch the movies. That's the whole point of this. Um, some, I don't really rewatch quite as much as others. Obviously, <laughs> I rewatch The Winter Soldier often, so I actually had a little debate with myself, and I was like, do I really need to rewatch this? Like, I at least watch it once every two months. So I can assure you I'm I'm well acquainted with the film, but I wrote a lot of notes, which, you know, obviously the first few times you're watching things, you might not look at things as eagle-eyed. You're not paying attention to quite as much. I mean, now we obviously, we do a lot more with the podcast because we're trying to share things and thoughts and theories and everything with you guys. But obviously when this stuff was coming out, this is phase two stuff. Like, I wasn't even fully in the fandom yet when Winter Soldier came out. Same. Yeah, so I, I definitely, it was kind of cool to go back and pick things apart because there were certain, there have been certain things that over the years that when I rewatch it, I'm like, hmm, you know, <laughs> like, there's just like certain things. So that one I'm looking forward to definitely touching on. And honestly, like, rewatching Guardians every once in a while is just fun. Yeah. Because they're, they're a fun franchise to cover. So I, I'm really excited to get into these. All right. Well, for Winter Soldier, we'll start with that because technically, I know it's like weird because with these two movies, they like completely don't relate at all. So we could kind of switch the order and it wouldn't matter. But I think technically, if I'm remembering correctly, Winter Soldier is first. So we'll start there. And I would be remiss if I didn't let you kick it off, Kate, <laughs> because based on everything we know about you and how much you watch this film, you're probably going to contribute a little bit more than me. So why don't you kick us off? Well, I'm just going to start with, to this day, this is one of the best MCU films. I, I am agree. sorry. Yeah, it's genuinely, to me, one of the few movies you can't debate is at least in like a top three or top five. 
And this isn't to, I mean, you might like the magical, you might like, you know, people like Captain Marvel and everything, and maybe, you know, the espionage stuff isn't your cup of tea. It's obviously ours. We've shared that. But just the way this film is put together and the in-depth look at the characters, I mean, I just have, even, I have so many notes just about, about the characters, but... I mean, Steve, Tim, in my opinion, other than when he is Nomad, he is portrayed the best in this film. I think it is the best show of his abilities. I love how they introduce Falcon to us. It's a very natural introduction. And I know I've gone on about this. This is the best movie, Natasha, ever. Any of the other films, nah. This is the best portrayal of her that we've ever gotten. And then I'm sorry, but the Winter Soldier is debatably one of the best villains just for his background and who he is and just I mean he puts up a fight like I watched this film and I'm like those four main characters in this film are just amazing and it just puts everything together well too and you said something that I was thinking about a lot last night I don't rewatch the movies a lot period I am not someone who enjoys rewatching things but when I sit down and do let me rephrase I don't actively go out and rewatch things but I enjoy it when I do it So I haven't watched Winter Soldier probably, oh my god, I can't even tell you the last time I watched it. But what struck me was the intricacies and the absolute just detail in the fight scenes. They were impeccable. Yeah. I mean, I was working on an art project when I was watching the film. I literally found myself just stopping and not even paying attention to what I was doing because I was so enthralled by Steve and to your point, like really showing him even beyond the shield, his skill. And I think that, you know, obviously we see in Endgame, we see him hold the hammer and it talks to his characteristics as a person and his nobility and things like that. But for him to actually be showcased as an elite fighter, I think to your point, this is probably the best film for that. And then that scene with him and Bucky, or the Winter Soldier in this case, under the bridge. Yeah. I mean, just so good. That hand-to-hand combat is, like, insane. And I just think across the board, this has some of the best fight scenes in the MCU. Oh, 100%. Genuinely, the bridge scene, in my opinion, obviously, I'm going to, like, hype this up. But truly, like, that deserves an award to me. Just how impeccably done it is. I remember when I first saw this film, obviously, like I said, it wasn't when it first came out, but when I was catching myself up, becoming a Marvel fan, I remember when I first saw this film, I was so enthralled by the knife scene specifically when they're, you know, I always have to laugh, Hydra's not going to come at you with a, or come at me with a pocket knife. And then here's Bucky with his pocket knife. Such a good little throwback. Like those little things are so smart. I know. Well, and there were a couple in this film too that like threw back to like the Avengers film. And I was like, see, I I like the little connection, even just the little comments. Mm -hmm. But as a martial artist, I will never forget that I watched that scene so often because I put everything in my soul to learn that hand-to-hand knife scene just fight. And I did learn it, but genuinely, because that's just how amazing it is. And it's just such a great fight scene. It shows both of their abilities. And I just thought, I don't even know. It's just, it leaves me speechless, genuinely. Yeah. I mean, it's quite well done. And like I said, like, I don't always just like stop to watch a fight scene. Like that's not always like the part that gets me. I'm more focused on like the overall storyline and character development and things like that. But I was like, wait a minute, like you have to just recognize when something is done so well. I think too, one of the things that, and I've talked about this this in the past, but like I really enjoyed when S.H.I.E.L.D. was a thing. And so 
it was a there's a part of me that I'm like I recognize this is such a good film but it also this when we reach this point in the MCU it makes me sad because I'm like I almost wish that they would have waited to do something like this to give you know shield more time on screen I know they couldn't exist because you know if shield had existed Age of Ultron would never have happened because Fury would have shut that down before that even got off the ground. So I understand that, like, logistically, you can't have S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, existing for some of these things to happen. But at the same time, it is, like, sad to watch that go. And, like, you know that it's, like, infiltrated with Hydra and stuff like that. But it's still such, like, it's such an integrated part of so many of these characters and, like, their journeys. So even, I think... What I'm trying to get at here is, like, the idea of S.H.I.E.L.D. almost as its own character. Like, yes, you have Fury, you have Natasha, you have Hill, and they're all separate characters. But then S.H.I.E.L.D. in and of itself as an institution is a character that we see die in this film. And that always makes me a little sad. Like, no matter how many times I know it's coming, I'm like, oh, man, like, it feels like a missed opportunity, but I understand why you had to do this. Yeah, but I just think with showing... There's just some sort of strong appeal to me with the S.H.I.E.L.D. Hydra storyline and how, you know, Hydra did interweave their way into S.H.I.E.L.D. from the very beginning, pretty much, like, from the get-go. And, you know, I think it's Zola who says it, you know, they were a lovely parasite that just grew within them. Mm -hmm. And I I really like those storylines, and and so I definitely agree with you in the sense of it's a little sad to see it happen so early But then I think in retrospect, you know, this was 2014 Marvel. 2018 Marvel was Infinity War already. That's true. They really did. Like, it feels like if you look at it as a whole, now that you're saying that, like, it's almost like, you know, they were walking in phase one and a half. And then you hit the midpoint of phase two and the poop starts to hit the fan really fast. And the dominoes that were just falling one by one are now like really starting to fall right i think you know and we'll get to this obviously when in the back half of the show when we talk about guardians but like once you hit guardians and he makes he being thanos has real screen time that's not just him being extra purpley that day and saying i'll do it myself like that's kind of almost to me the turning point where exactly. it's like oh things are getting real now so like we're hitting that phase in the mcu where it's like the pivot point where it's like we're done setting things up now and things are really really gonna get bad well exactly and so in retrospect you know oh wait was the start of iron man technically shield was long was there longer than halfway to the point of infinity war but you know we turned very cosmic very quickly and while we had the stones to your point kind of here and there in those first few films we really start to turn a new leaf when we see the Power Stone and Guardians, which we'll get into and all that. But that's when we pick up the speed. We we go running into the Infinity Saga more than we were before. And so while it is sad because I do like some of these like organizations and like understanding they're corrupt and all this, it had to happen when it did. And then, you know, who better than Captain America? I mean, the whole film itself. I just, I can't. The whole film is genuinely just like a dichotomy of itself. And I love it. Yeah, no, it's so good. And I just think, you know, to your point, it really dives deep into Steve in a way that like very few of the other films, even his own films did. Like if you look at the first Avenger, it's all about the origin story. And that's like well and good and everything. But it doesn't really get too much into his psyche, I don't think. It kind of sets him up as this, like, unattainable guy, this guy on a pedestal. Whereas in this film, I think the Russo brothers did a really good job of seeing, like, 
who's the man behind the symbol. Like, he's not just a symbol. He's not just a war hero. He's an actual dude who, like, went through some really traumatic crap and came out of the ice, and now he's, like, in a completely different world, and now he's trying to grapple with, you know, what he knew was right and wrong and how that has evolved over time. And I really like that. I think it's this film is, is also very critical in, in understanding Steve as a character, and knowing how Steve's storyline ends, I kept looking for, you know, things that both contradicted and supported his decision at the end because I was trying to understand if they were setting this up from the beginning. Like they supposedly said they were. Yeah, exactly. They were trying to tell us all this stuff. And I was just like, no, everything here contradicts. Like the idea of her husband being in that battalion that he saved in that video, even just the interaction he has with her in the hospital bed, even even Sharon, it made me so angry that like Natasha knew who she was. She had to have known. Natasha knows everything. Never told her. At the end of the, the movie, he said, oh, what's her name again? She says, Sharon. She knows her last name. Tell him her la- like that bothered me. I think because I dislike Sharon so much, but like so that there was like that was just a lot of my just brain exploding on that. So there was not a coherent thought there, but please react to something I said. No, 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 no. Because you know, I'm really glad you brought this up because ever since Infinity War, I've done the same thing. Uh, especially Winter Soldier because obviously Winter Soldier is the first film captain by himself that's present day first Avenger obviously is origin. Not the same. Civil War is, like, bogged down with everybody else. So this is really the only time I feel like we can look at it and and look at him as a character and be like... And it focuses on him and him really alone. Exactly. And I, like I said, this is not the first time I've watched this film at all since Infinity War, or I should say since Endgame. And I think what really upsets me is him and Peggy have this heartfelt conversation and she genu- and I literally wrote this down in quotes. She genuinely says... None of us can go back. And then she goes, and the best we can do sometimes is just start over. I clocked that too. And I was like, so she's giving you a directive to leave it alone. Leave it alone and move forward with your life. And you did the exact freaking opposite. And in doing so, actually changed the... Well, we'll get into that in a second. But potentially even changed the course of her life. So not only are you screwing with your own life, but also other people's. Now... That begs the question then, or it it almost has to confirm the idea that doing something, going back in time, creates a branch, not a butterfly effect, which they've, you know, tried to hammer home in the various different time travel things. And I think that has been the one thing that's been consistent, even, you know, through Endgame, through Loki, through even MOM, is that they're not butterfly affecting it. They are, in fact doing the, the branches. So this confirms then to me that Steve going back in time created another universe because otherwise none of this exists, right? Because him going back in time would mean that he never saves her husband or even if he did, it wouldn't matter because that's not her husband. Steve's her husband. You know what I'm saying? I do. And I know I don't want to bog us down too much on this because I know this will be a whole end game discussion on its own. Yeah, totally. That has to be. And then old Steve just came back to say his goodbyes and then left again. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. I don't even want to think about it too much. But truly watching this film, I sit there and I'm like, you know, this is the film, in my opinion, that we see him accepting living now. Yeah. Living in the current moment 
you know, taking on different roles than he was before, understanding if he wants to continue being a leader. I think this is the film we see all that. And then, and you know how I feel about this, the entire first film, part of the reason he did a half of what he did was literally to save Bucky. And then this film just opens that door once again, that literally by the end of the film, the thing he's most worried about is finding him. Yeah. So I just... I don't really understand. And the worst part is they were the same directors. <laughs> I just don't know. I don't know how it happened. I don't know how you do this film, how you do Civil War, and then you do a like, which reinforces that idea as well. Yes. The enti- he goes against his best friend in the Avengers in Tony. Well, yeah. Off screen, it's Thor, but on screen, it's Tony, you know. And you go against your friend, you break up the Avengers over this guy, which to his credit, he's known his entire life. Yeah. Okay, fine. But then how do the same directors turn around and say, hey, guy who I've given up my entire life, the Avengers and half the universe for, I'm going to say goodbye to you now and go be with this woman who I've kissed once. Especially considering they sat there in like this movie and him and Sam have that conversation on the bridge when he's like, you know, he's going to be there. And Steve straight up was just like, I can't fight him. He was like, I'm not going to. I'm not because like Sam pretty much is saying you need to put him down like you need to either knock him out or do the unaliving of him because that that was pretty much Sam's. You know, what he was insinuating. Which is also hilarious because they become a BFF duo later on. And I kept thinking about that. I thinking about that the whole time. (laughs) But Steve straight up was like, I'm not going to do that. I can't. Yeah. Even when Bucky was at his lowest and, you know, and Sam says he doesn't know who you are. He was like, I'm not doing anything to hurt him. He's like, I'm not doing it. And then we see it in the fight scene. He even says to him, he goes, I'm not fighting you. I'm your friend. And Bucky, of course, says that I'm your mission. But then... You know, Bucky has that moment where he pulls him from the river. Yeah. And that's, you know, Bucky's moment of turning, obviously, the mind control. But Steve would literally not fight him. He laid down the shield for Bucky twice, if you count Civil War, too. Yeah. So I just, I I don't know. It's very aggravating to me where his, his character arc goes because this film, in my opinion, when we really spotlight who Steve is and just the priorities he's always had... I don't know. It just doesn't seem to add up to me. No, I totally agree. And I, like I said, I really tried to look for things to the contrary just because it would make me feel better. And I was just like, I'm literally finding the opposite. And that is very aggravating to me. Agreed. But so now I have to point out something that I've been bothered by, and I hope you can give me an answer. I've been bothered by this scene every single time I've watched this movie. So we see Steve... Okay, well, first off, I want to just point out something I don't think I noticed before. Nick, obviously, Fury, is attacked in that really awesome, like, the way that they attack him in the on the road is, like, really cool. So good. And he escapes, and then he goes to Steve's apartment. First off, the song that he's playing is the song they play at the end of Endgame, which I never noticed before. Oh my gosh. I'm so bad when it comes to, like, recognizing songs and also like characters themes like davis when he's watching a movie he'll be like this character's theme was playing so i knew he was coming on the only character i do i like fully recognize his theme is the mandalorian and like when the mando theme comes out i'm like mando's coming but then other than that there are literally no other character oh and darth vader obviously but like other than that like across any franchise there's like no other character where i'm like this is their theme song and it just does not compute for me yeah, well, I, I never noticed it before, and then I heard it, and I was like, that's the same freaking song. But, regardless, so Nick is at his apartment, 
And I never, this is not the scene I was talking about. We'll get there in a second. But I never noticed this before. But for a man who knows he's being hunted, he meant to get shot. Yes. Because he gets up and stands right in front of the mirror. And I never noticed that before. Or not the mirror, the window. And I never noticed it before. But I was like, he meant to be spotted and he wanted to get shot. Well, I didn't really think about it until he was explaining the drug that Bruce created yeah that well first of all i never really thought about the fact that bruce created it and then i was like oh wow like why did that not clock for me before but when he was saying he took that drug to slow his heart rate to convince them that he was dead i was like so you had to have orchestrated getting shot because your injuries weren't bad enough before yeah that they were life-threatening so yeah i didn't really think about him intentionally standing in front of the window but i did think oh he intentionally got himself shot so that he could take that drug, go through the big theatrical moment of his death. But then what was, like, upsetting to me, now knowing Natasha's background, was him not putting her in on it. Because, one, she totally could have kept the secret. And two, like, knowing her, like, family history, I'm like, you just traumatized that girl because she idolizes you. And, like, you were her savior and, like, and you can see it in her face. Like, she's broken. Well, I'm going to counteract that because, and this is almost worse, (laughs) but when he's in the, like, when they see him after Nat's shot, like, leading up to the final battle, and he's in the... I don't know, they're in, like, the underground tunnels and stuff. Also, did you notice that was one of the Brusso brothers was one of the doctors? I never noticed that before. You never noticed that? If I did, I forgot. And so it was, like, almost, like, rediscovering I'm it. I'm just gonna say that you forgot. Yeah, because, like, I'm gonna 100% say that, too. But I was like, oh, my gosh, there's one of the Russos. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, no, he, uh, yeah. Very obvious, but I'm just gonna say you forgot that. Yeah, totally. Let's go with that. But Fury is saying... He he even says, I didn't know who I could trust. And it pans to Natasha's face and you could tell she, it dawns on her that he didn't necessarily know he could trust her. Yeah. The only person he felt he could was Maria Hill. Well, but that's why, like, that's why Nat wasn't included. Because up until that moment, he did not know. And this, the, a lot of this film is just about, is just much about her finding and establishing herself as somebody people could trust and depend on. I mean... Even with um, Steve at one point, she's like, would you allow me to save your life? Would you think I would? And he was like, I would now. So, like, it's even a show, like, throughout the film, not many people trusted her for who she was. And that changed, but that's why she wasn't included initially. However, getting to the point that I never got, the scene I never understood, is the elevator scene. Because, obviously, Cap is sus of everyone at this point, right? But he has this whole conversation with Pierce, which honestly, I'm not going to lie. If I, like, I might be sus of everybody, but Pierce didn't give me sus vibes when he's having this conversation. Because, like, he's saying, he's like, so all this, all this, all this. And then Cap's like, but if you knew Fury, you knew he wouldn't do this. And he was like, that is why we're having this conversation. He's like, I know he didn't do this. So he's like, we need to figure this out. I would not have been like, you're sus. I thought that conversation was, like, fairly all right. But then he had him attacked in the elevator. And I was like... See, that that never made sense to me, just because I was like, he might have been a little suspicious of you, but he wasn't yet confirmed that, like, Hydra and all that crap was going on yet. He didn't know any of it. And then he had him attacked and obviously at least confirmed there are clearly not good people in S.H.I.E.L.D. And I just never understood that. 
Okay, so let me try to shed some light based on, like, my interpretation is that this is Captain America you're dealing with. He's not a dummy. So I think that whole conversation was to suss out whether or not he believed the line about Fury being dirty because, remember, he and Fury were having tension, too. He wasn't trusting Fury. So I think Pierce was trying to see how far does this distrust go? Do you distrust him enough to think he's actually dirty? Because if so, he's an ally. Based on that conversation, he doesn't completely out himself as Hydra, but he then knows that Steve's not going to stop until he gets to the truth. That makes him a threat. Because at the end of the truth line, it's Pierce. Which I totally, like, fair. I guess I just was like, you know, you could have bought yourself ten times more time, gotten those things up and running into the sky, the helicarriers, and done what you had to do if he wouldn't have attacked me in the elevator, because he had time. All of the the elevator event is what led Steve to go on the run and led him to do everything else that happened in the movie. So I was like, I've always questioned, I'm like, why would you have done it? You shouldn't have done it. And not that I'm obviously rooting for the bad guy at all. But I'm like sitting there, I'm like, why did you attack him? Because all you did was expedite this process of him figuring out what was going on inside of S.H.I.E.L.D. Yeah, I mean, that's true. It was definitely not their smartest move. And for a man as strategic as Pierce, it was not his best move within the film. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. But now I have to say this. We're in the big battle scene. I have to get here. I have to just say this. We are lucky this movie was PG-13 because I think people sleep on the Winter Soldier a lot, especially when he's under the mind control. I'm also, I know this isn't about Civil War, but I will bring up, he like took down pretty much all the Avengers single-handedly when he was like under his influence of like words. But also like if you watch this film, he like single-handedly kills like all those pilots. And if this was not a PG-13 movie, like you know how gory this would have been? He blew them up. He was shooting them. He threw the one literally into a propeller and he shredded him. Like, if this was not Marvel, who's now, all, who's also like a part of Disney, that is disgusting. But of course, there's no blood because like it's Marvel. But like, yes, this man is completely ruthless when he is under the influence. Yeah, no, totally. I actually was struck by that as well. But the one, okay, the one where he shoots the guy into the propeller is really bad. The other one that freaking got me was when he shoots the pilot from on top Mm -hmm. and then gets in with the dead body. That's when I was like, He's just fine with piloting next to the dead man that he just shot five minutes ago, whose blood is probably still pooling out of him. Like, I was like, ooh-wee. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think about that, especially in that scene. I mean, granted, like, even look at the bridge scene. Like, he probably, there's a lot of collateral damage. They don't really show it, but you can't, there's bullets flying everywhere. Like, you cannot tell me that citizens were not hurt. And there are people, they're in the middle of Metro DC. Yeah. So you cannot tell me, like, citizens were not actively being shot. I'm sorry. Like, not even necessarily, I won't say by him, just because, like, he he's a, a killer assassin, sniper, all that. He's very well trained. But, I mean, like, the goons that were with him were just shooting bullets everywhere, like... Well, yeah, and even when he attacks the car. Yeah. Like, you're telling me not a single one of those cars exploded, had a massive crash, like... Well, exactly. But that's what, like, I sit there and while we have some really sympathetic villains, some amazing villains that we've seen over the years, 
I feel like Bucky doesn't, or the Winter Soldier especially, does not really get some of the credit because he was so early on. And that's not me even just being like, he's my fave. Truly, I feel like he doesn't get a lot of the credit. First off, extremely sympathetic backstory to begin with. But two, like, he is ruthless. Like, he has no emotions. So he simply is willing to kill. And so if this was like a rated R movie, I just, I always think about that when I see that one fight scene at the end. I'm always like... This would have been disgusting. Yeah. This would have been terrible. Yeah, no, it would have been a lot. The thing that I want to talk about, it relates to the Black Widow movie, because to your point, this is very much a movie about Natasha, not as much as it's about Steve, but probably secondarily. Like, it's Steve, then Natasha, in terms of, like, the main characters here. And, you know, so they have that scene where she releases all of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s secrets, and Pierce specifically says to her... This is going to release your secrets, too. Mm -hmm. So then I guess I'm just confused about how so much of what happens in Black Widow is, like, not known about, considering her whole history is on the internet. Like, that's another problem I have with a movie where you did a, you backtracked after the character's entire, like, history theoretically has been released. Yeah, I definitely, that's another thing for me. Like, I don't, I don't ever like to say, especially about this movie, that I'm like, well, I have a small problem, but I, that is something for me. And that goes, I think, partially to the fact that every single director has directed Natasha differently. True. Including the Russo brothers. Every single film that she has been in that they have done, which is four of them, she is portrayed very differently. I guess for me, I think that is the cause of a lot of the issue. And so her storylines and just some of the things she's involved in, I feel like are just forgotten. To be quite frank, I just feel like they look and they don't want to, They especially early on, didn't want to make her a priority Avenger. And then later on, when everybody wanted her and wanted to like have more about her background and get into that, even though they'd already literally killed her, it's like that backpedaling. Yeah. And so I agree. I, I definitely think, especially with all the files coming out, I feel like there might be like a random reference to it in another film somewhere. And I can't remember, but I'm sure as we go through this replay, we'll definitely hit whatever film it is. But it might be Civil War. It could be like Infinity War. I don't know. But I know there's like a mention of it when she, all of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s background, but not directly of like Natasha's backgrounds. I do know. It's something about science. I think it's Age of Ultron. Because isn't Tony going through S.H.I.E.L.D.'s old stuff for some of their science stuff? Or am I thinking of the Avengers when he's hacking into the helicarrier? I don't know. I think it's the Avengers. Yeah, never mind. Because Avengers, no one trusted anyone, so right. they were all like, yeah. But, no, there's a later film, and that's why I think it might, I think it's Civil War, because I think Ross, General Ross says it. Oh, and he's yes. And he says something about the records being out on the internet. But they never, like, get there. And they never go into her stuff. And I think that actually belies a bigger problem that I didn't really think about until right now, but have thought about in the past, at least on this rewatch, is the fact that that has no repercussions. Yeah. Like, literally zero. You know, like, all of S.H.I.E.L.D.'s covers, all of their stuff, all of their science, all of their research, all of it is well, on the internet. Well, they have all that information on all the Avengers, too. Yeah. Like, all of that, and not to mention what Hydra was hiding underneath them. Yeah. So I know that's another big thing for me that, like, is not really this movie's problem more than it is every movie that followed up with it that didn't... Agreed. 
Like, this movie setting the stage is having the event happen. Yes. It doesn't... I don't need a ramification within the 15 minutes that are left. That's fine. You're the Russo brothers. You started that snowball, and you're expecting another director to take it down the line. Yeah. That's fine with me, but the fact that nobody picked up that snowball and kept it rolling, that's where I have the problem. Yeah. No, I, I fully agree, and it's not even just her, even though they do directly point that out. I think, like like I said, they have all those files on all the current Avengers, and I'm sure some of those... I mean, Hydra had so much information. Mm-hmm. I mean, Stephen Strange is name-dropped, and I, I didn't really bring that up earlier because not much of a point, too. We all caught that during this film, especially after, you know, Doctor Strange came out. Everybody was like, well, duh. But he's name-dropped in this film way before his film even comes out. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, Hydra's got eyes on him already. So, like, there's all this information that... It's not even shields that I want to know. It's Hydra's. But we don't know anything about it. Nothing ever comes about it. That's not true, actually. The one place where it's referenced, I just thought about it because you said Hydra's files. You know who uses them? Helmet Zemo. That's how he finds out all the crap for Civil War. That is the direct ramification. That's the only one. That Yeah, I was going to say that's the only one. But then again, there's the Captain America. It's the end to the trilogy. And the Russo brothers covered it. So they picked up their own ball. But regardless, that's the only ramification. Oh, yeah. It should have had a larger ramification than just what Zemo did. But the fact that it took us, what, we've been talking about this particular topic for five minutes. It, t- it took us five minutes to even remember that that was a part. So not only was it, like, just one plot line in the next Captain America movie, but it was so made unimportant and minimized that it took us that long to remember. And I freaking, like, Civil War to me is your Winter Soldier. That is the movie that I've probably seen 10, 12 times. Like, I watched that sucker... I don't watch it now a lot all the time, but when oh, I was don't in college... Get me wrong. I've watched Civil War a lot, too. <laughs> yeah, no, I'm sure. But, like, when I was in college, I used to watch it all the time. And so, like, for us to not remember that that is how he gets that information, it's because it's minimized. It's because it's not, you know, not made important. And so, even though there is that one direct reference, it's like, all right, one, there should have been more than one. And two, it should have been made explicit. Yeah. Because that is, like, and it was, but, like, more, more so... That should have been a groundbreaking moment in and of itself within the MCU that was just, like, literally nerfed so hard. I agree. And then for me, I mean, past that, there's only, like, two more things for me that I have to say about this, and or about this film specifically, because I can't go on about it forever. But, I mean, like, I could, but I'm not allowed. <laughs> First... I, obviously we see Maria Hill interviewing with Stark Industries. I never thought about it after until I rewatched Age of Ultron a couple, I don't know why I was rewatching Age of Ultron. Oh, we, last summer when we went on our road trip for vacation, you and I were both watching a ton of the films and I got up to Age of Ultron and I was like, since when did she work for Stark Industries? And then after this, I was like, wait a minute, she works for Stark after this. And then at that last scene, I was like, why did I never think of this scene? Yes. But the reason I'm bringing it up is, and you know, maybe, okay, I do really love Age of Ultron. I don't watch it a ton though. So maybe this is on me and correct me if I'm wrong, but like, does anything else ever come from this? Like, we see her in, like, she's at the party at the beginning and all that. But then obviously, very quickly, it shifts to the main Avengers and everything that they're doing. And I'm, like, sitting here and I'm like, what's the long run with her at Stark Industries? Like, what 
where does she go from there? Like, I was like, where is her, am I just blanking? Or, like, what's her storyline? So, she does debrief the Avengers on the twins. So, she's, like, actively involved in Avenger duty. Yeah, but then where is she in Civil War? See, I think she's back with Nick. Because Nick starts to be active again. Because she's back with Nick in Far From Home. That's what I mean, though. She kind of, and I know they, like, write her off by being like, well, she's on a side mission and stuff like that. Like, they could easily do that. So I'm thinking too much into it, but I'm just like, I know she ends up there. She's there for Age of Ultron, and then she's just kind of gone for a while. <laughs> like, I, Yeah, I'm trying to think if we see her between Age of Ultron and Far From Home. I don't know, because we get into all the cosmic stuff. I mean, we see her get dusted. Yes, because she's with Nick. Yeah. I don't think so. But that's what I mean. It, I, I just feel like there was a weird, like, her storyline got a little muffled somewhere in there, and I didn't really know what happened to her. And this movie is what reminds me of it is because this is where she starts her run at Stark Industries, and it just seems weird. She definitely gets swept under the rug a little bit for, like, much, well, most of, the rest of Phase 2, other than Age of Ultron, and most of Phase 3. I'm trying to remember, and I know the idea of whether or not Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. exists as part of 616 is debated, and I've gotten yelled at many a time on Twitter about my personal take on this, but even, even saying it does... She, I don't think she appears in that show, but I don't, I don't know. It's been a while since I've seen it. It's just, it, it's just weird. It's a weird thread that doesn't feel right to me. And so I just wanted to bring that up. And then my last thing I just want to say is part of the reason I love this movie so much is because its very first end credit scene is the best thing ever to me. Why? Because it literally bore one of my brand new favorite human beings ever. But I just have to say how little we knew watching this end credit scene for the first time. You know, like, you watch it and you're like, whoa, superhero twins. Like, you think, like, obviously you know who they are. Like, it's not hard to put it together. He's fast. She's weird. Hello. But, I mean, looking from the, well, now 2023 perspective of especially Wanda, because we all kind of know where Pietro goes, it's, like, almost mind-boggling to be like, wow. We would, I, I would have never known. Like, I, like, comic wise, yes, but like, if you're just an MCU fan and you're just watching this, you know, for the first time, you don't sit there and you're like, holy crap, this is gonna be big. Like, I would never have looked at her there and been like, here she is a Scarlet Witch and MOM. Never would have seen it, you know? I think the thing that struck me the most with it was knowing what she had just experienced. As we saw it in WandaVision. Yes, because now we saw the WandaVision stuff. Yeah, because, like, there you're like, oh, they both went under the scepter and, like, were touched by the stone and it gave them their powers. And they don't really go into any depth. But then, of course, WandaVision, like, breaks that completely open. Mm -hmm. We see her visited by, shall we call her the Mother Scarlet Witch? I don't really know. (laughs) I don't know if there's a better term for that. Yeah, I don't. That's still a little iffy on me. I'm very confused by all of that. But... You know, like, we see her visited by that, and then now we see this film, or this this scene in this film, and you're like, oh, she had just undergone essentially a transformation and embodied this legendary figure, Mm -hmm. and they have no freaking clue what they have caged up in there. No. She doesn't even know what they have caged up in there. Yeah, exactly. Like, they just think they made a a metahuman, or a superpowered being, metahuman I think is more of a DC term, but you know, they, what do they call them? Enhanced. They're like, oh, enhanced are in the field. They just think they made some enhanced people. Little do they know that they brought the next incarnation of the Scarlet Witch into the world. So like, yeah, wow. Just wow. I know. Every time I see that end credit scene, I'm just like, 
If only we had known. And it's one of those rare moments, I think, where they've gone back and redone something and made it richer rather than made it more confusing. I think, as we've talked about at length with Black Widow, they've just confused so much and it's made it really, you have to do some real mental gymnastics to be like, so she had this family and this sister and all this stuff and she never noticed that the red room was still operating and like all of that is like so sus to me i was like having like my own mental gymnastics about that the other day wait a second now that you just said that and i don't mean to reopen something else that we just finished but i just thought shield had to have known the red room was still operating or hydra specifically and you're telling me that was not exposed and i'm pretty sure we said about we talked about this when we talked about black widow too but like it just dawned on me again. You cannot tell me Hydra is not aware that this is happening. Especially because they consider themselves the arbiters of chaos. They believe that they have absolutely orchestrated and been the architects of history for the last 70 years. Well, I'm sorry, but you're not the architect of history when this guy has brain-controlled, mind-controlled women out here doing his busy bidding and creating the history that he wants. But that's what I mean. No, exactly. That's what. Yeah, they have potentially conflicting aims and they don't know that there's another actor on the stage look i it's nothing against black widow but i have so many issues with that film i think you know in some ways i wish they would have just never made it because it's almost worse that they went back and did it than having done it when she was still alive creating a movie about a character that's already dead is stupid to me and then now you just created all of these wrinkles that do not make sense with the things that were happening previously because you had to go back because you didn't have the foresight to make the movie about the character when she was still alive like that movie is it's a good film if you completely remove it from the mcu because it exists better on its own yeah i just sorry i didn't mean to backtrack us on that but i that thought that we obviously had like almost a year ago now or more than a year ago year almost two half. years ago now <laughs> yeah yeah don't let me think about that just dawned on me again i was like wait a second that does not add up again but anyway that's all i'm gonna i'm gonna have to cut myself because short because i don't want to keep going on winter soldier and not give guardians the light of day yes i have one last thing i want to say and it's super small we don't have to have a full conversation about it, but it, I thought about it because, to your point, you mentioned earlier this movie introduces Sam, which, by the way, when he flies in on that roof with the wings, like, I've never really thought about how cool that was before. I think now that he's Captain America, I'm like, ooh, so this is the introduction of the guy who eventually becomes the new iteration of Captain America. And speaking of Sam being Captain America, that scene where Steve makes his speech to all of the S.H.I.E.L.D. agents, afterwards, Sam says... Did you write that down or did you just like, did that just like come to you in the moment? And then I think about his beautiful speech at the end of the show in the season finale of Falcon the Winter Soldier. And I'm like, is there something about being Captain America that just like allows you to make these beautiful off the cuff speeches? Yeah. Because it just made me chuckle because I was like, here you are idolizing this guy and being amazed by what he does. And then, you know, I guess that's 2014 to 2023, a nine short years later, here you are giving a very you know, impassioned, freedom-based and equality-based speech, there's just something about being Cap, man. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and like I said earlier, all four of the main characters, in my opinion, were just perfect. Every, like, his introduction into this film was perfect. I mean, I love Sam because he keeps it real. Yeah. He's the one who says the comments that we're all thinking, which I deeply appreciate, especially in this film, because this film is clearly still battling very serious things. But I do have to say, like, he has some certain one-liners here and there that it's just like, it's that small little chuckle that they put in there that is just like 
perfect in my opinion. But yeah, I, I deeply appreciate Sam and to see where he's come from, you know, this film all the way through. He's had a really great arc and I, I'm really excited to continue to see it. Oh, for sure. For sure. All right. That was the last thing I had to say about Winter Soldier. We are now making the official pivot into Guardians of the Galaxy, also coming out, I believe, in 2014. So it was a very eclectic year for Marvel that year. Quite a few different tones going on. But as you all know, this was the introduction of this squad into the MCU. I'm not going to lie, on first watch, was not my favorite thing. I like the more serious tones. I tend to like more gravitas. I also don't really gravitate towards the space stuff. It's never been my favorite kind of quarter of the MCU. But having watched this movie now like five or six times... I mean, it's just, it's fun. And I've grown to, I think we've all grown to really enjoy these characters. We talked about it a lot during the holiday special. You know, you've seen them go through some real stuff and you've seen them lose members and it's been a fun journey. But to see where it all started is a fun little reminder too of like, oh, these guys are pretty, pretty bad. These are, these are great. Yeah, I sort of second the whole idea of space area of the MCU is something I usually choose to avoid. For me, it's because it's kind of like some of this multiversal stuff. It just gives me a headache. I've yet to have, like, a solid explanation on a lot of (laughs) the space stuff. So until I, like, get one of those, I just, I do tend to try to avoid them. That being said, and I know I'll say this about Guardians 2 as well, I have really enjoyed these franchises as a whole, always. Even when it first came out, just because, you know, they're not one of the more popular heroes you hear come out of the Marvel, like, comics, especially the grouping and everything that's together, but they're just, as Gamora puts it, a group of idiots, and I genuinely, like, it's fun to see the opposite, and, like, for your reason of liking more serious things, which I, I, I'm in, enjoying of all things usually, it depends on, like, how how they're properly put together, But, you know, to put a movie like Winter Soldier out and then to flip it and put Guardians of the Galaxy out, like, that to me, I mean, it was, it was enjoyable. Like, I, when we were getting prepared for this replay, I was, I was watching the Winter Soldier started Guardians and then I finished it the next day. But, you know, just being able to kind of flip that switch a little bit and just kind of be like, okay, now I'm going to (laughs) laugh. Like, I know there's going to be some serious things, but I feel like it's the opposite of the Winter Soldier in sense of serious with some chuckles versus chuckles with some serious and that's how it like that film feels to me so I really enjoy watching them I don't go out of my way a lot to rewatch them just because I don't think about them all the time but I really like the Guardians and so as we discuss this it's going to be hard because I know we're getting the third one I know the third one's going to be emotional and hard and I think we're gonna lose a lot of these beloved characters but I really like the Guardians soon to be trilogy yeah and I like the characters too I think the one thing that as I was like listening to your response was thinking you know even though I don't love space you know the space corner I think one of the things that I've grown to appreciate with the Guardians franchise over time is that you get to see more of space in the MCU I mean think about it this way In terms of release order, it is the first movie where we were really out in space. Yes, technically Captain Marvel takes place in the 90s, but that didn't come out till 2018. So this is the first time we were really seeing what is beyond Earth in the MCU. Yeah. And so I think, you know, that was tough at the beginning. But if you look at it, it actually does a really good job of kind of giving you 
almost like a, a geographical map of space, right? Or of some of the players in space. So you bring in the Kree here, which are obviously super important in Captain Marvel's realm and all of that stuff. And even, you know, having a little bit of background on them from Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., you know, I just think they're a very interesting group of people. So you have the Kree, you have Nova, which if I'm not correct, I believe there is rumors about a Nova-centered show or movie coming out. And I think that's a specific character. I don't think it's about the Nova people, but I haven't done enough research into that to know. But I think those two things are related, so that's cool. But even just like the different planets that you're on, I think also too, and this is like kind of a random aside, but after first watching Guardians, I had not really watched any of the Star Wars things. But now that I'm more into Star Wars, I think it has almost made me enjoy Guardians more because in Star Wars, obviously, you're switching planets all the time. You're trying to connect different things. And I think that kind of mindset has almost endeared Guardians to me because now I'm more used to being like, now they're going to this planet. Now they're going to this planet. These are how these planets relate. These are the types of people on this planet. And so like Star Wars has almost been like my training wheels for like better understanding Guardians, which I think is funny. But yeah, I I like how they're kind of mapping out the stars, quote unquote, for us um, a little bit than some of these other franchises do. Well, and you know, the first Guardians, if we kind of even want to map it out towards itself... I don't think I ever noticed how many things about the second one was pretty much just mentioned nonstop in the first one. And, you know, even starting at the beginning, the entire dialogue his mom is giving him on her deathbed. About his father? Yeah, I was like, this feels so different knowing Ego. And then obviously there's that throwaway line with Yondu towards the end when they're like, yeah, it's a good thing we didn't get back to his dad. Yeah, he was like an a-hole or something like that. And I, there were, I think, a couple other mentions, I think, along. Oh, well, they mentioned at the end, obviously, that he's not fully human and yeah. all that. For the first time, I feel like it was one of the films that really, like, fully set up its second one. Yeah. And granted, some of this is because, to your point, it was one of the first we really saw out in the space as far as the order they came out. Really the first time we were off Earth. Mm -hmm. So for a while, the Guardians were just kind of floating out there by themselves. They were doing their own thing because we were still pretty confined to what Earth 616 was doing. So them setting up their sequel, yeah, I mean, some of these other films are setting up other franchises versus them being out on their own little planet, kind of literally, kind of not. (laughs) But I, like, never noticed that as much until I was watching it this time around. I was like... Wow, like we're really getting like aggressively hinted at about this whole celestial being his dad kind of thing. Like, yeah, it's there. It's smacking us in the face. Totally. I think it is very riddled with Easter eggs once you've gone through and looked at other things. Like once you've watched the other movies, you're like, that's an Easter egg. Obviously, we see Thanos. I Like I said, I mentioned at the beginning of the show, like, you know, he gets the most screen time in this movie that he does basically up until Infinity War and Endgame. Yeah. He never has this much screen time again. So that's obviously super important. We get our first mention of a celestial. This is only our second time, I believe, being explained in the Infinity Stones because Odin explains it in The Dark World, which we've already covered. It timeline-wise comes out previously and also even release date wise that was a 2013 release but well we have a little bit in the first cap a little and we have some in avengers too but they're not it's not a lot it's so ambiguous it's not really calling them infinity stones yeah and even odin doesn't call them this is the first time that they are named infinity stones like 
Odin gives you a good background, but he's not naming name dropping in that way. I truly believe, if I'm not incorrect, that this is the first time the term Infinity Stones is ever used in the MCU. So not only are you like reinforcing, I think, the background that you get with Odin, although I wish we had seen, I wish we had less of a gap between when we saw the Dark World and this, because I think there were some contradictions that we noticed when we watched the Dark World, and now I can't remember what they are. But ideally, it's the same general concept. Well, and Wong explains them again in Infinity War too. Right. But ideally, let's just go with where we are here. They're generally the same concept. It's just that the Guardians goes one step further and says, this is Infinity Stone. So if you were confused about whether this was the Infinity Saga, we're going to wipe away your confusion right now. I think one of the other things that I was really struck by was the Collector. Because one thing I never noticed... And I don't know if this is because What If messed me up, but he was collecting them too. Oh, so yes, I did notice that. I thought you were going to say something else that I noticed for the first time in this film or like this rewatch. I never noticed that he was intentionally trying to collect them the same way Thanos was. I just thought, oh, this is where everyone goes to drop them off. Like I never really put that together. And I think it's because in an episode of What If, doesn't he get all six of them? Like doesn't I don't think he- so. Or he goes after them. There's there's a whole episode with the collector where he's the bad guy. I know what you're talking about, but I don't remember him being the bad guy. Well, either way, something in What If planted this seed to me that he is a problem. And so when I was watching it, somewhere in the back of my head, I was going, wait a minute, he has the ether. Now he's about to get the power stone. And I knew that, right? But it never dawned on me that he was actively trying to buy the power stone because he was playing the same game that Thanos was and they were both basically trying to race to see which one could get them and then figure out a way to maneuver them away from the other person to collect all six and I couldn't help but think like wow how would that have been different if the collector had gotten them versus Thanos well and I have to say and this might be devil's advocate for the collector which I don't know why I'm doing that But I will say, I mean, he's known as the Collector. A part of me is wondering if it's solely because he's like, these are the most priceless things in the universe. And he he doesn't even want the power. I think he just wants the power of knowing he has them. Yeah. Because that's his MO, right? Like, he collects the weird things. I mean, he literally was like, hey, dude, can I have your body when you die to Groot? Like, he literally was like, like, can you sign a release form now? Like, you're rare to have, like, a Groot is rare. And so, like, I don't even know if he'd have them for malicious purposes more than just being like, I would be able to say I have all the Infinity Stones and I wield all the Infinity Stones. That's true. But that's not to say I want them for the power, just the power of what they... Signify. Yeah. Yeah. But what I wanted to say, and I might be wrong, but I replayed it like five times and I swear, I will swear on my life, that I swear one of the guys, one of the Dark Orders people who come to New York when they attack is in one of the collector's boxes. And I never noticed this before. The Chitari? No. Oh my gosh, the tall muscly one. Not the one that they cut the arm off of. There's another one. Oh, you're one. talking Infinity War. Sorry. I was thinking Avengers. Sorry. No, I'm thinking Infinity Wars. Actually, is he one of the ones that attacks Wanda? I can't remember right now. But I can picture him. He kind of looks very similar to the, the like, fire-breathing thing from the first Thor. He looks a little bit like that. Oh, I can't think of him right now. That's bothering me. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. You know who I'm talking about. 
Yeah, I kind of do. Not Squidward, not the, yeah, there's, when they first walk into the collectors, and I'm gonna, I'm gonna describe it, so if you guys want to look, I might, like I said, I might be wrong, but I swear I've watched it, I've replayed it like five times. They first are walking into the collectors, and they pass Lucky the dog. Well, it's not Lucky, that's Cosmo. Lucky's from- Sorry, oh my gosh. <laughs> I was well, like, they Lucky's do all definitely those... on Earth. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, they did that thing where they had both the dogs- on the Marvel thing the past, like a couple weeks ago, so that's why I'm thrown off. Sorry, Cosmo. And he starts growling at Rocket, and Ro- and it turns to Rocket, and Rocket starts growling back. In the box behind him, I swear it looks like the me- one of the members of the Dark Order. And then I was like, well, how do you get out? And then, you know, the next five seconds happens, and, you know, and the Power Stone explodes, and everything happens. I was like, oh, that's how he would have gotten out. Here's my question, though. While I don't doubt your eyes... The one thing that doesn't make sense is why wouldn't Gamora recognize her sibling? I mean, I don't even know if she's paying attention. She might have walked right past, been looking at other things. Yeah, but if he's in a cage, he would have recognized her. Yeah, but he was, like, laying down on the ground. He looked like he was, like, not right. I don't know. That, that to me, just, like, I'm a little, like, they're siblings, like... Totally fair. But I also will just throw out there, she wants nothing to do with Thanos in the, by the time this film is happening. So there's a part of me that's like, well, maybe she, if she did notice him, and if it is him, she might just be like, well, he's caged up in here. And she also might be like, we have bigger priorities right now. I don't know. We obviously don't meet the Dark Order until Infinity War, so I couldn't tell you. Isn't it the Black Order? No, I feel like it's the Dark Order. I don't know about that. I don't think it's the Black Order. I think it is. Okay, look it up and prove me wrong then. Okay, wait. The Black Order is a group of lethal aliens gathered by Thanos to serve as his generals in his war against life. Huh. I've been calling it the Dark Order forever. Well, that was from the MarvelFandom.com, the wiki. Okay, well then I retract everything I've said. It's called the Black Order. I've always called it the Dark Order. I don't know what I'm... Oh, you know what? Am I thinking of Harry Potter? Well, the Dark Lord, and then there's the Order of the Phoenix. Yeah, am I just, like, combining things? Yeah, I think you are. Okay. Because I was like, something sounds right here to me still. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, sorry, it's the Black Order. But regardless... I swear on my life, dude, I've replayed that so many times because I was like, that looks just like him. Huh. I might have to go back and look then. If it is, that's gotta, then it's really funny. Like, for that to be, because we ne- didn't think a thing of it, obviously. Yeah, no. Interesting. I think, too, one thing that this movie, this is, like, kind of related if we're talking about, like, characters that come back later or, like, ideas. Like, the one thing that confuses me, or I guess not really confuses me, the thing that I'm wondering is whether Captain Marvel knew Ronan the Accuser. Okay, thank you. Because I literally, like I said, I had to write in my notes about things because I wanted to make sure I didn't forget them. But I even wrote down, like, why didn't Captain Marvel intervene with Ronan. I didn't even think about it that way, but you're right. I thought about it when I was watching, but yeah, you're right. Why was she... If because I'm sitting there and I'm like, he's literally about to destroy an entire planet and, like, it's not a secret. He was going around the entire space world, like, pretty much projecting that he hated Xandar and he was going to destroy them. And I was like, why did she not intervene? No, you're so right. Like, what could have been more important? I was thinking that this whole film. Yeah, that's the problem. I genuinely believe that for the most part, they do not retroactively do things well because the storylines are so interweaved and they're interwoven and they're so entangled in one another that you can't just go back and do something 
without there being massive repercussions. I'm sorry. We've well, seen and it. that's even down to like this is gonna be this is gonna sound stupid on the surface, but like that's even down to because we talked about Winter Soldier when Fury makes the comment, he's like, "Last time I trusted someone, I lost an eye," and then it was Goose. Yeah, that well, that was just stupid. That could have been anything. Well, that's what I mean, though. Like, you could have made any... I mean, you could have even had Captain Marvel, like, blast him in the eye or something when they have, like, a scuffle or, I don't know, something, and been like, that's what happened. The best thing that would have been is if it was Phil Coulson as a scroll. That would have been so perfect. Well, but that's what I mean, like... And that's what bothers me with this, is I'm sitting here, I'm like... Ronan's name causes fear among many, and you can see that. He's well-known around the entire universe, and they all know he's a Kree extremist. Even the Kree don't like him. Well, and that's my thing, too. I'm like, not only is she not actively stopping someone who's just trying to hurt people, but he is, you know, from the planet that took her for years, brainwashed her, so then I'm like all right, I'm confused because I would think she would have extra animosity and would be looking for a reason to get in a fight with a Kree because she freaking hates the Kree now because of what they did to her. Well, and like I said, not to mention, it's it's not a secret across the universe. And then by the time he's like actively going to be on his way to Xandar, like everybody knows. Like, it's not a secret. that, he, And he's wielding an infinity stone. Like, does she not? I don't know. Maybe she doesn't. But I'm going to say it. Does she not, like, have a sense for that a little bit? Like, that entire time, I just was like, this feels really weird. Because I kind of forget that he's Kree a little bit. Just because, like I said, I don't really rewatch the Guardians often. And if I can help it, I avoid rewatching Captain Marvel pretty much always. But, like, I'm, like, sitting there, I'm like, that doesn't make sense. And considering she's out supposedly protecting space, where was her protection? Because we've seen her fly right through Thanos' ships before. She could have stopped him very quickly. Yeah. No, I totally agree. And that's why I will always be annoyed and frustrated whenever they announce a project that is going to retroactively mini-retcon something because it's other than WandaVision being a positive retcon I cannot name another single one that worked out positively well because at least with WandaVision I think like we don't really see the process of you know what was going on like and so yeah we see she already has her powers we see that Pietro already has his powers and we know how they got it but we don't see anything more than that and we just have like a loose thread of they had volunteers, they were trying this out, and for some weird reason it took to both of them. They didn't know anything else at the time. So for WandaVision, there weren't as many constraints, in my opinion, of what they had to work in. Because it was like, well, they didn't describe how they went about the testing. They didn't, like, there wasn't already, like, a box that they had to color. They just had very loose sketch. Versus I feel like, especially with Captain Marvel, there were a lot of things that were being built 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 and they were like okay we're gonna put this movie in here and it's like okay wait but that doesn't necessarily if she's this why isn't she doing this if that happened then why is this and why did this happen but now this is why like there's a lot that i just feel like they built the box too much and already started shading it and then they were like well i guess we can color over it and it just didn't work well and even and this is jumping the gun a little but even ego if he's planting his seed sorry for the gross euphemism there but that is what he's doing but it also is quite literally a seed yeah it's i mean it it works on both levels but you know if he's doing that and he's about to take over multiple planets how is she not 
Like, what is she doing? And then, and and I don't want to take too long on this because we're going to have a whole predictions episode, but I don't know if you've seen some of the synopses that are going around for Captain Marvel. Take them, you know, with a grain of salt. But there are some that are talking about, oh, you know, ever since she basically broke the supreme intelligence, their AI system, Cree society has been in kind of a free fall and like all this stuff. And I'm like, how is that possible? One, because that ha- took place 30 years ago in the 90s. And two, and we know that because Ms. Marvel and Photon, Monica Rambo, are going to be in this movie. So we know it takes place in present day. And two, if Cree society was, you know, in shambles after the first Captain Marvel, why is that not reflected in the first Guardians movie? No, you definitely, they don't appear to me in shambles. No. When they're talking about them, and even when the leader of, or whoever she, I forget her name, of Xandar is, like, on the phone with him, and she's like, you need to do something about Ronan. Like, he is still one of yours. They seem chillin'. Like, they seem fine. (laughs) Like, so, I don't know. That just seemed, that is, I think, what stuck out the most to me. Because I was like, okay, like, the Infinity Stone being introduced, the storyline, everything else. Like, the movie, this once again is like the Winter Soldier. The movie itself was okay. Like, there was nothing wrong with it. It was kind of just like, if you look in connection to other things, you were like, what happened? It's not even that it was contradicting things that had come out to date. It was that they went back and, to your point, tried to recolor over things, but ended up just making more of a freaking mess. Yeah, I... It was definitely something that, like, I paid a lot more attention to this time around. I don't know. It just felt very weird. And, you know, I'm glad you had brought it up initially because I was like, I'm glad I'm not the only one who kind of noticed that was a little weird to me. Well, and the other element to that then is at the end, they are, you know, formed as the Guardians of the Galaxy. So they're out there saving the galaxy and doing things. How have they never run into her? How And I know that's, like, the classic, like, how are two, you know, superheroes in New York and never interacting? But, like, truly, like, how many issues can there be in the galaxy or the universe where they're not going to run into each other or at least have heard of her? Like, you know, like, I just don't understand that. And then do they even interact at all in the Infinity War? And like That, to me, doesn't make any sense. They would have some of the most in common of any two franchises that are there. Why is she, I mean, I get Thor, but, like, why is she out here interacting with, like, Wong instead of, like, and no no shade on Wong. We know how much we love him, but, like... We love the universe of Wong. Exactly. But, like, why is she out here interacting with him and Shang-Chi and not, like, the Guardians of the freaking Galaxy? Well, so now I'm going to bring something else up, just because it semi-segues into it. So, obviously, nowhere is a thing in this film. We've known this first time we run into a Celestial. It's... And to quote, the severed head of a celestial. They talk about, which I noted, I really picked up on this time around, how they started mining it for all the natural resources, which I picked up on because of the theories of Tiamat, uh-huh. who's currently on Earth, and where that story, the theories of where that storyline might be going with the Thunderbolts. So the idea that that could possibly have been adamantium that they were mining? Yes, precisely. Well, not just that. I mean, they list a couple things that, like, but yes. Well, right. I'm just saying, like, that's the going theory. So if you're running on the idea that, like humans, Celestials have the same chemical makeup, that was potentially adamantium that they were mining. Precisely. So that I picked up on a little, too. But this actually goes to Eternals a little bit, but also a little bit Captain Marvel, which I didn't think about before. The severed head. 
So he didn't just die. He was killed. He His head was literally severed from his body. And so I'm thinking, you know, I did see a theory running around the other day. I don't know why I saw this theory specifically since Eternals did come out a little while ago now. But, you know, someone was saying, are there other Eternals that are killing Celestials out there? But then I just thought, did Captain Marvel kill said Celestial that's out there? They don't say how long the Celestial's been dead. And they just specifically say, and I might be reading into it, but they specifically say the head is severed. So to me, I'm like, dude didn't just like pass out and like die of old age. I also wonder if there is not unanimity and uniformity within the celestial ranks and he was killed by another celestial and i don't know but that's what i mean like i kind of was like oh interesting i never thought of the eternals possibly like other versions of the eternals being out there possibly have killed one but i also then we were talking about captain marvel and like i said i was like huh did she take out a celestial at some point Oof, that's a lot to be a being that could take out a celestial I mean, I don't like to give too much thought about Celestials ever since, like, Eternals, because that actually hurts my brain. Like, I thought the multiverse hurt my brain, but, like, the concept of Celestials actually makes me want to, like, take my brain out of my head. Well, and then you had one randomly pop up in Thor, and you're like, okay. Yeah. It's a very confusing topic for me, but that's why I'm thinking, I was like, interesting. Since we're talking about Captain Marvel and her lack of interference, I'm like, was there interference elsewhere? That she's the reason that nowhere became a thing? Yeah. It's a good question, and I definitely think that, and I know, that we're gonna dive more into Celestials when it comes to Guardians 2. I'm very excited because I want to do some major sleuthing when we get to that in comparison to what we know now about the Celestials. Yeah. Because if we're going to, if the last thing I'll say on this topic, because I don't want to go into Guardians 2 since we're going to do a whole episode on it, is the way that they describe Peter's father in this film, he is a Celestial. You know, Peter has very ancient DNA he, you know, it's vague enough that it could be molded into the form of the, the celestial and that ancient DNA thing, it really, you know, points to it. So what I want to do is understand in the second movie how Ego talks about himself, because I think that's going to be really, it'll be nice to see it with a fresh set of eyes now that we know a little bit more about celestials as a group of people. No, I, I fully agree. And I know even with the Eternals, we talked a little bit about how Ego didn't seem to fit what we kind of already been seeing. So I am intrigued as well to kind of get into that because this movie to me was one of the biggest ones with Easter eggs for the future that you don't know until you go back. Yeah. And it's, sometimes it's dumb stuff. Like I'm not, like even just the severed head of a celestial, I would have overlooked that time and time again. I did. Well, yeah. And honestly, I continue to overlook it until Eternals. Because that was the first time we got a genuine look at current Celestials. Yeah. And Celestials were a, a genuine part of the storyline. So I guess for me, like, now looking back at that, I mean, it not only had huge possible ramifications for its current place, but also now in moving into phases five and six already. And on top of that, you know, then it had so much with the Power Stone and really introduced the stones to us in a different way than we've seen already. So this movie does a lot to impact that, and you don't even notice it because you're caught up in all the jokes and just, like, these guys all being idiots out in space, and you're just kind of, like, run away with it. Yeah, totally. I think, you know, I think this movie can be a little slept on in terms of its actual contributions to the larger storyline. Agreed. I think you can obviously point to things like 
the Infinity Stone, and and we've talked about it at length, but the real screen time of Thanos, and, like, those things are obvious, but then when you look at some of the nitty-gritty stuff, you're like, oh, like, no, I see so much of this. Even, I thought, one of the things that I really enjoyed this time around was when Gamora talks about Thanos not being her real father, and she says, oh, no, he came to my planet and destroyed it, and then we actually get to see that play out later on, Yeah, which is sad, but it, it I like that because, you know, we actually got to visually see what that looked like for her. So even those small little Easter eggs that are, you know, paid off later on are really important. Yeah, I, I I genuinely genuinely enjoyed watching it this time around. I mean, I always do, but like especially this time, I think knowing now what we know. Yeah, and honestly, and these moments give us time to look back at certain things too, and kind of just be like, huh, and maybe ask different questions. I know for me, something like that I really didn't think about before, and I kind of wish we had gotten a little more of. Is we don't get a lot of Rocket's background. Yeah. We know he was like obviously pretty much tortured and created pretty much a lab experiment. But I didn't think too much about that until he's, they're breaking out of prison, and he's doing all the things he's doing to put everything together. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, okay, yes, I understand, like, the general gist of his background. But I'm like, where did he learn all this? Like, I'm like, how does he know how to do everything he is doing? He's extremely advanced. Yeah. And then I think even further, so I am going to kind of zero in on, zero in on him and Ro- or group because, and this is a little bit, I do remember thinking this when I used to play um, one of the Marvel games on my phone, but Groot, if he was, like, had full intelligence, because obviously we know he is not stupid, but because he doesn't really have much dialect, well, he only has three words, three and a half if you count we. Which, also, just the fact that it's a real language that Thor learned in school, I know. die. Makes I die it so much time. better. I think about it later on, and I'm like, this, that, that little line was added so much richness to rewatching these movies. I know. But to realize that, like, because only a few people understand what he's actually saying, he's kind of looked at as a big oaf. But, like, in all honesty, I was thinking about it watching this film again because, you know, this is the only film we see a fully grown Groot in. And I was like, oh, my God. Like, he is amazing. Yeah. Like, if you really look at him, his strength and the things he's able to do... I'm like, wow, I'm genuinely, like, I would not ever want to go up against Groot. Yeah. Like, he is an extremely strong individual. Totally. I actually felt that about all of them, because I think sometimes their actual fighting prowess gets lost in the jokes. You know, you were talking about that before. And I think even just, like, watching Peter Quill, like, you know, obviously he's not our favorite guy after Infinity War, but, like, he's a really smooth operator. Like, he's really good at what he does. Gamora, obviously, is, like, a total killer. Rocket, you're to your point, super, super intelligent. Drax, like, he literally has people in that prison afraid of him. Like, he is an incredible fighter as well. And, like, I feel like sometimes it's so easy to forget with these characters that behind all the jokes and the barbs and all those things, each one of them could kill you probably with a hand tied behind their back. Like, they're very dangerous individuals. Yeah. And honestly, though, and you made that slight jab at Star-Lord, and I have to say, re-watching this film, a piece of me gave forgiveness. And let me just say, that is simply because this man was taken at the age of, like, 10. Literally as his mother just died. 
and we see him reacting. He never properly learned how to handle his emotions. No, I mean, he lived with Yondu his whole life. Well, right. But we see it throughout this film. And I know we, we obviously see it in the second one when his when Ego tells him that his you know he pretty much killed his mom. And so I'm like thinking about it. And as I was watching this film and I was watching how he reacted to even his mother like passing away and all that, I was like, you know, he's never learned how to mediate his emotions and he's never known how to look at the bigger picture than what just how he feels and so as I like thought about this I was like I almost am I still angry yes of course he dusted my buck buck but (laughs) I (laughs) just there's a piece of me the psychology kid in me that was like I can forgive him for the sake that he truly does not know how to handle strong emotions he reacts he acts out and he gets violent because he does not know how to mediate them. So I kind of was like, all right, Peter, you get an inch. You get an inch out of the black hole that I put you in because of that. That is very kind. I struggled actually watching this film because of my feelings for Peter. Like, I was like, I remember watching this and really enjoying him as a character. And now I feel like I look at him and I'm like you. Like, I want to be like, I love this guy, but I really struggle. And I just, it's hard for me. Oh, don't, don't ever misdirect me by saying I love him. <laughs> he's still very far in a black hole for me, but he's like an inch higher than he was just because I was like, I can forgive you for things you never learned. You never learned coping mechanisms or the ability to react responsibly. So I was like, I can forgive for that, especially watching this. But I do, I have to say, I mean, even that beginning scene when he's like walking on that, like getting the orb originally, and I'm like, you. I know. Like that was what went through my head. (laughs) Like you're so charming, you jerk. Why do you have to be that way? Why can't you just be a total fart the whole time and make it so much easier? I know, but I, I that genuinely was me. Just I was like, okay, you can persevere. You can get through it. Like, that is how I feel sometimes, but I did give a little bit of forgiveness towards him. I do have to say, you know, knowing everything we know, Guardians is a very weird franchise to rewatch when we were rewatching it for this. I felt very weird, not even seeing Thanos, just like, Knowing what happens to Gamora and then like that same version that we're watching of Gamora right now pretty much being planted in 2023. Like, oh, that's true. Yeah. Like knowing that's the version of her we're getting in the new film. Like, it's a very weird vibe. I mean, even just rocking Groot's little expedition with Thor to help him create his new weapon. Like, just knowing the events of Infinity War specifically it's um definitely, like, weird to go back, this franchise especially, in my opinion, to watch it. Yeah, I would agree. I think it also, though, was interesting because you see how much Peter cares about Gamora, and I think it does, to your point, help you emphasize, empathize a little bit with how he reacts to finding out that Thanos killed her because, you know, you see them growing closer, you see them bonding, you know, about kind of crappy dads. Is that this film or the next film? I don't remember. But, you know, they're bonding and all that good stuff. And she does speak to him about growing up with Thanos and what he did to her family. So he understands the abuse that she went through at the hands of this guy. And then to find out that he killed her, like, I, in that sense, I do kind of understand why, you know, he reacted the way he did. Well, and on top of that, and this was something I even wrote down, you know, we see Thanos for the first time, really, like, fully see Thanos, 
and he's talking to Ronan, and I caught this. And he said, so he was t- pretty much being like, you better get me the orb. But he was like, and you alienated my favorite daughter. And so I sat there and I was like, he's blaming Ronan for the fact his own daughter portrayed him and ran away. And then I think back and I'm like, because in some warped way, you're seeing from the very start how much he loves Gamora, even if she can't stand him. And you see that from the very beginning. And then to know, obviously, that clearly he loved her so much he got the soul stone for sacrificing her. Like, it's just a very weird film to rewatch after Infinity War. Like, it's a very, like, down to some of the smallest details, you're just seeing things that you're like... Oh wow! Like the imp- you don't know how big some of the- just like Winter Soldier, you don't know what how some of the stuff is going to be really impacting future things until you have that you know now bias pretty much of the recency bias and going back and seeing it that now and being like well now I know but still like it was just so the seeds were just being set up so perfectly throughout the whole thing. Yeah, I actually didn't think of that when he said that. I thought about. Nebula's arc. Ugh, Nebula. I hate her in this film. I forgot how annoying she is. She's awful in this film. But I thought about how much she hates her sister. And I kept thinking, well, I get it. Like, you're sitting here and your dad literally didn't even hide when he was like, my favorite daughter. Yeah. And I was like, I get why you would be annoyed. Like, or the way too at the very beginning of the film, when Ronan tells Nebula to do something and Gamora's like, I'll do it. And now we all know it's because she wants to, you know, betray her father. But still, like, that was not out of character. Based on Nebula's response and what we later know in later films, that was not out of character for Gamora. But, like, so just imagining living with that type of sibling your whole life and then your father being so open about how much he prefers her. I can understand why she's a little bit nuts. Well, but I almost had to laugh because... Gamora goes and betrays her father, and then the second Ronan gives Nebula the chance, Nebula's like, you're going to betray my father? Like, I was like, you know, Nebula, and I'm sorry, this entire film, I forgot how much I truly can't stand her when when I watch this film. Like, moving forward, not so much, but, like, especially this one. She's a butt munch. Yeah, she's she's hard. To, honestly, her scenes are hard to get through. Yeah. Because I'm like, you are so annoying. Like... But, you know, that's to Karen for doing a great job, like, portraying her. Like, that's nothing to say the character's bad. It's just, like, the character's built to be annoying in this film. But I had to, I, like, laughed because I'm like, Gamora did the same thing. Like, you guys are not that different. And I think that's something that they emphasize later on as the films go on. But, like, I'm like, you hate her so much, but she never won. And I think this is her argument in the second film. But she's like... I don't want to be his favorite. I don't even want to be around him. Like, at the end of the day, they... I just want to survive. Yeah, like, at the end of the day, they both betrayed him. Like, they both didn't want to be around Thanos. So, like, I just had to laugh. Like, when that happened, I was like, Nebula, girl, you're the, you are the same side. Or two sides of the same coin, I should say. And it's like, oi. I know. Well, I think that might be it for me in terms of... Things I wanted to talk about for Guardians. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I still want to say really quickly, and I know I mentioned this a little earlier with the humor of this film, but, you know, what makes this film is just, like, some of the way the lines are even delivered. Like, I... I think directly of Drax in the prison when like, and they're saying like his people are like, 
extremely literal and like just all the things they're trying to explain to him and then at the end when he's like finger across his throat means death and he goes metaphor like just the delivery like it's just like it's things like that that makes the guardian so fun to watch yeah so i wanted to just bring that up because the guardians really are a fun franchise it makes me like i said earlier anxious as all heck to what's going to happen in the third one but yeah i mean i the, the delivery of some of that you just can't be that entire cast is just impeccable the last thing i'll say is that line where drax is talking about how they're all his friends and he talks about Quill and Groot, and he says that green whore, she's my friend. And Gamora's like, really? And then when Nebula says something bad, he just shoots her, and he goes, nobody says something like bad about my friend. And then I immediately thought about Mantis and how he's like, I find you repulsive. <laughs> no. <laughs> he's like, I, I find you extremely repulsive. <laughs> she was just like, is that good? Yeah, I know. Uh, I'm excited for Mantis when we get to talk about her because she's so fun. And now having seen those two together from extended screen time in the holiday special, I'm like, I love them so much. That, is this a man? <laughs> <laughs> My friend doesn't think it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm excited. They're fun characters. I'm not ready to see us par- probably part with at least two, if not three of them. I Yeah, I would say two to three is going to be... Unless one of them's Peter Quill. I wouldn't cry. I'd just be like, you know, that happened. <laughs> then I'd move on. Not going to lie. I think Rocket is going to survive. I know we're going to do a whole predictions episode on it, but I'm going to put it out here now just because he's integrated with the other Avengers. It makes sense for him to survive. I'm going to manifest Peter, but I have a bad feeling if it's not Peter, it's going to be Mantis because they didn't sleep on that whole sibling thing for a reason. Well, one of them isn't going to survive. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But I'm going to manifest it's Peter. All right, well, we'll save the rest of our predictions once we have... Did we get a trailer? We did, right? No, not for that one. We did? Yeah, because Drax, like, throws the ball at the kid. Oh, yes, yes, <laughs> you're right. Uh, sorry. I feel like there's so many things happening right now, and I've had a lot going on in my personal life, so I'm a little, like, behind on all the things. But, yes, we did get a trailer for that. Either way, we will have more predictions as the movie gets closer. But I hope you guys enjoyed our little discussion about the Winter Soldier and the Guardians of the Galaxy, the first movie. If you would like to continue following us as we go through some replays into before we get into Ant-Man territory, you can definitely subscribe on your podcast platform of choice. You can also follow the blog where we have all sorts of great content. And last but not least, if you're interested in any Let's Talk Marvel Fan Theories merch, you can check out our Redbubble shop. Yeah, make sure you guys are following us on Twitter at Let's Talk MFT and Instagram at Let's Talk dot MFT. Don't forget the dot. Um, though we should come up before you have to type the dot. So follow us on both of those. We're, all of our content, you know, whenever an episode's coming out, blog posts, just fun things are posted on there. And also, as Taylor was saying, we are doing some of our replay episodes before the big Ant-Man Quantumania. So in the meantime, we are going to have another one coming out in two weeks because we are still on our two-week episode time frame. Make sure you guys are keeping an eye out for that episode. We will be covering the second Guardians, which we obviously, you know, touched a little bit on already in this, and Age of Ultron, which we also touched on a little bit in this, so that those will go pretty smoothly and flow pretty nicely after this episode. So keep an eye out for that, and as always, keep up with the Marvel content. Catch up with what they've put out if you haven't, and keep up with our content as Marvel just blew your mind, so let's talk about it.